This is a Together Church podcast, a place to explore meaning, friendship, and faith in Jesus. We'd love you to connect with our community. Find out more at togetherchurch.com.au. And um, that's now more than 40 years ago. And when that started, uh, I made a faith commitment. This is coming out of the Catholic um, Church, very Catholic upbringing. And I have to say, although I had committed my life to Jesus and I affirmed my belief in Jesus and in who he was and in who God is and, and, and the Holy Spirit and all that stuff, I didn't really know what it meant. I was very happy to be wearing the same colour shirt as all the other people on that team. But when the ball came my way and I grabbed it, I was just as likely to run the wrong way as the right way. And, and those of you who've watched kids playing football might know exactly what I mean. So it's uh, a privilege to be able to share with you this afternoon. And we're looking at a, um, a series on love, culture and worship in the first part of this year. And there's a few things that we want to focus on very specifically, and I'm not even going to tell you what they are this afternoon, because we felt like it was important to lay a bit of a foundation so that when we do start focusing on these particular things that are issues in our society today, you don't think that that's all there is that matters. So we wanted to lay uh, like a foundation, a context in which we're then going to look particularly at, um, at issues related to uh, uh, love and culture and worship in our society today. So I'm going to go uh, all the way back to a passage in the second book, of the Bible, second book of the Old Testament called Exodus, and it's in chapter 34. And um, this is, it, it's an odd situation. Moses, who's been called to be the leader of God's people, is coming down the mountain with uh, two stone tablets on which are carved the Ten Commandments. Now, the odd thing is, this is the second time that he's done this thing. The second time he's come down the mountain with these two stone tablets. With it. Now, why is that? What happened? What happened the first time? Jax. Exactly. Thanks, Jax. Moses, Moses came down the mountain the first time with these commandments, which are going to be used to guide the life of his people. And he found that they'd already blown it. They'd tossed all their gold into a, like a melting pot and m melted it on a fire and made this God thing, you know, a bit like that bull, perhaps, that, the one in Wall Street, you know, like this bull figure. And that's what they were worshipping. So he was so cranky, he threw the tablets on the ground, they broke. So he had to go back and get another set. And this is what, this is what the Lord said through Moses to his people the second time round. It's in chapter 34 of Exodus. Then the Lord said, I am making this agreement with all of your people. I will do amazing things that have never been done before for any other nation on earth. The people with you will see that I, the Lord, am very great. They will see the wonderful things that I will do for you. And he says, obey what I command you today and I will force your enemies to leave your land. I will force out the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, 
Hivites and Jebusites, all the tribes that occupy this land that I've promised you. But be careful. Don't make any agreement with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you make an agreement with them, it will bring you trouble. So destroy their altars, break the stones they worship, and cut down their idols. Don't worship any other god. I am Yahweh Kana, the jealous Lord. That is my name. I hate for my people to worship other gods. And this name on the board, Yahweh Kana, it's, it, it's one of the names God uses to describe himself. There's lots of others, but this particular one means I am the jealous Lord. You are only to worship me and you are not to worship any of the other gods. So when we look at the... What's the little... Is there something on the background there that's... No, the little box. What's that? I can't read it. Oh. Everyone turn around and you'll see what I'm talking about. All right. Now, can you see why I'm confused? Yeah, thank you. All right. <laughs> All right. I'm glad you're not having to think of that. Okay. So the Ten Commandments, which are set out in the book I just mentioned, Exodus, and they're restated uh, in the fifth book in the Bible called Deuteronomy. Um, and so here are the Ten Commandments, and we'll be quite familiar with these. And I just want to focus on the first one today. I am the Lord your God. Have no other gods. Now, this is a list of all the kings of the nation of Israel. It starts um, about 500 years after the story that I just told you about Moses with King Saul, and it covers a 400-year period. About 3,000 years ago, it started. King Saul, then King David, then King Solomon. And after King Solomon, the nation was divided into two, one called Judah and one called Israel. And this period of time ends with the conquest of the nations of Israel in about 724 BC, before Christ, by the Assyrians, and with the conquest of Judah, the land of Judah in 586 BC by the Babylonians. And you can read about all the things that happened in this time in six books in the Bible, the first and second book of Samuel, the first and second book of Kings, and the first and second book of Chronicles. It takes a long time to read all of that. There's 42 kings mentioned. Of the 42, six are described as good kings. Just six. Now, why was that? What made them good kings, do you think? Anybody? There's just one thing. Jax? They were all God's people, and they were the, these were the kings of God's people. But these six did something that distinguished them from all the others. All right, we'll get to it in a minute. There's another five that are described as okay. They were kind of okay. 
Now, if you don't know why the good ones were good, you won't know why the okay ones were okay. The okay ones are the ones in the pinky purple colour. And the other 31 were bad kings. And to find out what the difference between them was, we have to go back to that first commandment. Because all over the land where these people lived were altars and, and um, shrines and memorials to gods other than Yahweh Kana, the jealous God who said, have no other gods, worship only me. And so the people that had lived here before, the people that were driven out, had worshipped Baal. They had worshipped Ashtoreth. They had worshipped all sorts of gods. And they had these special altars and special memorial stones set up on high places. Why would you build a memorial stone on a high place? Because it's closer to where the gods live. And you're coming close to God. So all over the land, there were these altars and so on. What did the good kings do? They got rid of them. They smashed them. They smashed the altars, broke the stones up. They cut down the Asherah poles, which were used to worship Ashtoreth, um, which is exactly what God expected of them. What did the not-so-good kings do? The okay ones. They actually stopped the worship of these gods by the people, but they never went up the hills and mountains and knocked down the old altars. So that when, when they'd moved on, and there was a lot of moving on in these days, some kings didn't last very long, the people, oh, we go back up to the altar now, you know, it's okay, we can do this, and the altar was still there. So the good kings smashed the altars and cut down the Asherah poles. The okay kings stopped the worship of other gods, but they didn't bother to actually destroy the evidence, if you like. And the bad kings encouraged and participated in the worship of other gods. And the, uh, the history of the nation of um, Israel and the nation of Judah, God's chosen people, was pretty much dictated by the behavior of these kings because they represented the nation. And their actions on behalf of the nation determined their status with God. And God dealt with the nation of Israel in accordance with the behavior of its kings. And you saw 31 out of 42 kings were bad kings. And the end result was the nation of Judah, the nation of Israel were destroyed. The people were taken away into exile. Um, and there ends that chapter in the history of um, God's chosen people. It moves on, of course, but uh, we can talk about that another time. So... I want to talk about broccoli. <laughs> yeah, that, you, did you catch that? It was subtle. Broccoli? <laughs> it's a vegetable. It's a green vegetable. All right. Now, the particular thing I want to draw to your attention here, and it actually relates to something that Kim shared with us earlier about the ancient ways not really being the ancient ways, because we discover patterns that were true in the ancient day. They were true in the time of Jesus and they're true today. Patterns that God uses to show us what he expects of us and to show us the consequences when we drift away from what he plans for us. So have a look at this broccoli. There's a pattern in the way that different parts of the broccoli are arranged, isn't there? 
And when you look inside the, the red frame in the center of the image, the little insert down the bottom is a blown up representation of just that little bit that's in that frame. And what do you see? What does the pattern within the inset box look like? It looks the same as the pattern in the whole thing. And there's another little red frame in the inset box. And if I blew that up again, you would find that the same pattern is repeated at whatever scale you look at the head of this broccoli plant. And to me, it's a really good illustration of the way that God works. He establishes patterns and rhythms and cycles that are documented throughout the Bible. They're in the Older Testament. They're in the Newer Testament. They're in our life today. And they show us how God wants us to live. And they show us what happens if we turn away from how he wants us to live. So these things that we've been talking about, the, the false gods that people worshipped when God told them not to, we saw what happened as a consequence of that. And that's a pattern, like the broccoli, that gets repeated at different scales. It gets repeated at the scale of nations. It gets repeated at the scale of our own lives. And it's been repeated in every age, you know, from way, way back in ancient times to what's going on in the world today, what's going on in our country today, and what's going on in our own lives today. So that's the significance of the broccoli. So, back to the Ten Commandments. Now, in addition to the Ten Commandments, there were 613 laws that the people of God followed. They are written out in the second, third, and fourth books of the Bible, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. They're repeated in Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, and they covered every aspect of life for the people that God had chosen to be his own. They covered moral laws, murder, theft, honesty, adultery, and so on. They covered social laws, marriage and divorce, property, inheritance, they're all covered. Food laws, the things you can eat and the things you cannot eat. No, you could eat broccoli. The saddest thing you couldn't eat was Queensland mud crab. You didn't know that, did you? Purity laws, all about bodily functions and disease. and <laughs> Feasts, the, the, the feasts that God expected his people to observe and how to observe them. Sacrifices, the way in which the priests should live and conduct themselves. Um, what worship was supposed to look like. All these things were set out in these laws. And you know, when Jesus was walking on this earth, he was living in the culture and following the religion that followed these laws and these commandments. And uh, the learned people around him, the priests, the teachers of the law, the, the, the people who studied the law, they're trying to catch Jesus out all the time and trying to trick him and find fault with him in some way to try and prove that nobody else should listen to him because they were worried about what would happen if people started listening to Jesus and doing what he was telling them to do and following his example. So what are some of the things? Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners, and they asked his followers, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and other sinners? That was against 
one of their laws. In chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, about that same time, Jesus was walking through the fields of grain on a Sabbath day. His followers were with him and were hungry, so they began to pick the grain and eat it as they walked along. And um, the Pharisees, some of these students of the law, they saw it and they said to Jesus, look, your followers are doing something that's against the law to do on the Sabbath day. You weren't allowed to work and picking up some grain was classified as work. You couldn't do it. So you couldn't, even if you were hungry, you couldn't pick up the grain from the ground in the field and eat it because that was work. Lots and lots and lots of examples. Jesus, Matthew chapter 12, verse 10, he healed someone who had a crippled hand, but it happened to be on the Sabbath day. And there was a law that the um, teachers of the law had interpreted to me. You couldn't do that. And they asked, is it right to heal on the Sabbath day? So Jesus, they're trying to trip him up about all these laws. Um, They asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, your followers don't wash their hands properly before they eat. They're breaking the law. So over and over and over and over again, they're trying to trick Jesus, trying to catch him out. In different ways. Anyway, this all culminates uh, in, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. And that ask Jesus, what is the most important law? Which commandment is most important? And Jesus answers with this verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and most important command. Now, if Jesus says this is the first and most important command, we should take notice. Have a look at it in the Passion Translation. It's got a slightly different emphasis. Love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with Every thought that is within you. Every thought that is within you. Now, if I were to charge any of you with any of those three things, would any of you be guilty? (laughs) Have you truly loved the Lord your God with every passion of your heart? Have you truly loved the Lord your God with all the energy of your being? Have you truly loved the Lord your God with every thought that is within you? None of us, none of us, least of all me, would be able to plead guilty to those things if they were a crime. So, what little word stands out in this verse? One little word that really stands out. It's repeated three times. All. All. No, it's, there's no room for anything else in all. All is, <laughs> is all. And, uh, and that's absolutely critical to this. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about myself, a little bit more. When I was 15, I had grown up in a, in a Catholic Christian heritage. And when I was 15, I just walked away from all of that. I was starting to think about what I wanted to do, what was important to me. And it had to be about fun. What I was interested in and what I was, wanted to do, anything that was fun, anything that I thought was fun. 
Uh, and my understanding or interpretation or reflection on Christianity was that um, there was a law in Christianity which said, thou shalt have no fun. Uh, that was how I saw it, you know, as a 15-year-old. And I held on to that view for a few years. But um, fortunately, for various reasons, people praying for me, God's grace and mercy, and whatever else was going on in my life, just before I turned 18, I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And as I said before, I didn't really know what it meant, but it was the beginning of a journey. Now, at that stage of my life, given that I didn't always run the right way when I had the ball, um, I thought being a Christian was just about trying to maintain a decent balance between all this fun stuff that I already decided was pretty important and this faith stuff which I'd just added into the mix by this decision I'd made to follow Jesus. Um, I wouldn't recommend that, by the way, but you'll see why in a minute. At this stage in my life, these, these were my life goals. If you'd asked me, how do, how do you see the next 20 or 30 years of your life playing out? These are the things I was aiming for. These are the things that were kind of priorities in my life. Now, I wouldn't have thought there'd be too many surprises in there. I, I more or less suspect most of us would um, have a list or have had a list that looked something like this. Okay, And maybe the order was a little bit different. But basically, these were the things that were on my list of... You know, if I got to the bottom of that list over the coming 20 or 30 years, I'd feel like I'd had a pretty fulfilling and satisfied life and, and more or less measured up to what God expected of me and what I expected for myself. Well, it doesn't quite work like that. When I decided to become a follower of Jesus, just before I turned 18... I pretty much had a clean slate. Like this was a new beginning and it felt like a new beginning for me. But I'm doing this balancing thing, you see, and this is what happened. Uh, you know, I needed to leave a bit of room for my high school studies and um, I wanted to have a girlfriend and get a job and, you know, get my car and a fishing rod or three and a guitar and a rifle and I get my university degree and... and um, get an even better job now that I've got my university degree and get married and uh, have some kids. I have three of those. No, make it four. Uh, get a house, you know, have some amazing holidays and squeeze my faith in there somewhere. And this is pretty much how my life was. You know, I, I found a space where church stuff would fit, and I equated church stuff with my faith. So, Sunday morning, yeah, I can fit that in. Uh, home group Wednesday evening, I can, I can fit that in. Uh, music practice for, for Sunday service on a Thursday, I can fit that in as well. Um, keeping this fun stuff with, within some sort of mostly self-defined boundaries um, to avoid you know, really going off the edge and, and more or less comply with the Ten Commandments, more or less. Um, and if it was safe to declare my faith, then I would, but otherwise I, I might just say, oh, yeah, you know, I go to church on Sunday. Um, but, you know, not really be open about my faith in any meaningful way. So that's where I was at. And if you come back to this list of life goals for me, the faith bit... Uh, kind of became just doing church. 
having the appearance, more or less, of being a follower of Jesus, um, but shaping that to fit in with everything else. Uh, and the other thing about it is, for every one of those life goals, you could say there's a dark side. But none of them are wrong of themselves. They're, they're all quite legitimate things for someone to um, expect to have as part of their, their life. But there's a dark side to each of them. You know, uh, the whole thing about finishing school and getting a good grade. Well, there's a lot of pride in that, <laughs> you know, and, and I used to love telling people the marks I got um, because I got pretty good marks, you know, and you can see it's how easy it is for pride to come out. I'm not going to go through all of these line by line, but you can see them there. Um, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, at one level, that's just part of getting to know people and finding a future marriage partner if you're going to be a married person and so on. But there's desire, physical desire for sexual gratification in there. There's pride. You know, I've got a girlfriend. <laughs> um, you know, there's all sorts of different things that are on the dark side of each of these things in the list. A lot of pride and a lot of greed and a lot of desire. And the faith bit, which become kind of like church observance, is more like um, some kind of religious practice, but not really necessarily a true whole of my life faith commitment. So each of these things has a dark side. And as I see it, these are the gods of our age. Pride, desire, greed, and, and religion for its own sake. None of them are as obvious. If you've travelled in Asia or Africa or somewhere, you can see evidence of um, other gods everywhere you go in all sorts of different ways. You know, temples and shrines and, and all sorts of things that you see that are evidence of people literally following other gods. And it's very obvious. They're what we would call overt. It's easy to see. In our society, the other gods that our God is talking about are covert. They're hidden. They're under the radar. Um, and, and they're not as obvious. It's not obvious that the, they are the gods, the false gods that they are. It's things like um, in, in pride, power and position, knowledge, knowledge and ability and reputation and appearance, how I dress, what I look like, um, desire, sexual gratification and the whole thing about the good life, you know, good food, good wine, a good life, all those things are things that we desire which can take over who we really are and interfere with following God in the way that he expects us to follow him. Greed, money, better job so I get more money, buying things, buying stuff, and the religious side of it where it just becomes a ritual of observance um, and not a true commitment to follow the Lord and to do what he's asking of me. Now, Jesus addresses each of these, and I have looked only at Matthew's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. All, all the references that I've used come from just one book of the Bible, which is Matthew's account of the life of Jesus. So on, about sexual desire, he, he talks about, you know, you, he says this, 
You've all heard the commandment, you must not commit adultery. But I tell you that if a man so much as looks at a woman and wants to sin sexually with her, if those are his thoughts, he has already committed that sin with her in his mind. Uh, Guilty a thousand times over and more in my life. Um, And it's only in the last seven or eight years that I've really been able to submit to God in this area of my life and enjoy the freedom that he has for all of us. Uh, and, and, you know, that was a false God that I allowed myself to follow for many, 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 many years of my life while still maintaining the appearance of being a follower of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, Jesus talks about pride and he's talking about... Um, the person who's um, giving in the temple, and he wants everyone to know how much he's given. When you give to those who are poor, don't announce that you are giving. Don't be like the hypocrites. When they're in the synagogues and on the streets, they blow trumpets before they give so that people will see them. They want everyone to praise them. The truth is that's all the reward they will get. So when you give to the poor, don't let anyone know what you are doing. Your giving should be done in private. Your father can see what is done in private and he will reward you. This is Jesus admonishing pride and pride can be such a big part of um, who we are. The wise and the smart. In, In Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus talks about the fact that he's hidden all these um, special things about what his, what his purpose on earth is. He's hidden them from the wise. And, and um, he's shown them to people who are like little children. The people who followed Jesus weren't the wise teachers of the law. They were simple fishermen. And yet God was revealing his plans through Jesus to them um, and, and forsaking those who thought themselves to be wise. And their reliance on their knowledge was interfering with their ability to see who Jesus really was. And the other one is um, wealth and the story of the rich young man who says, well, teacher, what, what good thing must I do in order to have eternal life? And, and Jesus starts ticking off the things and he says, yep, done that, done that, done that, done that. I've never murdered anybody, never committed adultery. I don't steal, I haven't told lies. Da, 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 da. I've obeyed all these, what else do I need? And what did Jesus say? Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And he said, that's a bridge too far. I can't do that. And so Jesus was showing that, that our greed for money and more stuff and wealth is a false god. We shouldn't be following that. We need to turn away from it. Sell it all, give it to the poor. And so Jesus made it clear that um, that also is a false god. And he talks about the religious practices and, and how the, the priests and the teachers of the law and the people who felt themselves to be right with God because of the way they followed their religious practices were somehow special and closer to God. And he said, they're all hypocrites. They're not, they're not following God's way. They've missed the point.
okay. Now, in our society today, we are faced with all of these things. Every, just about everything we see on television, every image we see in print, um, there's so many different ways in which the false gods of the world are presented to us. You cannot escape encountering, you're going to encounter them. The thing is, how do we deal with that? How do we avoid falling into temptation and, and becoming proud, becoming greedy, giving into our desires for sexual gratification or for whatever else it might be um, on the good life? And I just want to um, make a very small suggestion about a pattern we can introduce into our life, a rhythm that we can introduce into our life that will help us to do this. And it, it goes back to another ancient tradition called the Tamid, which is talked about in Exodus chapter 29. And Tamid is a word for the morning offering. So the priests would sacrifice a lamb first thing in the morning, and they would also sacrifice a lamb uh, last thing in the afternoon. So there was a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. And all the other sacrifices that it talks about came between those two. Those two sacrifices bookended the, the day, bookended the process of worship in the life of God's people. The first one happened at the third hour, nine o'clock in the morning. The second one at the ninth hour, three o'clock. Three o'clock? Six o'clock. I think it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Sorry about that. Um, and it was the simplest sacrifice. One lamb in the morning, one lamb in the evening. But it bookended them all. And the interesting thing is the word tamid means daily. It wasn't like there was a morning tamid and an evening tamid. There was just the tamid. The same word was used to describe the two sacrifices. And the word means more than just daily. It means daily and continual, perpetual, always and forever. And it's a way of tethering the day to God's purposes. It, it, every single day, there's a moment in the morning before the day begins, there's a moment in the afternoon when the day closes, when people are thinking about God and bringing their sacrifice to God. And I was going to um, do a little demonstration, but I don't think I will. But if you think about this boat, it's tethered at one end. So if the wind changes, what's going to happen to it? It's going to swing around, isn't it? As the wind, as the wind blows it, because it's only tethered at one end. And if, and if the tide changes, it's going to wash the other way. So even though it's connected to something solid and it's not going to end off washing off the edge of the earth or anything like that, it can swing around, all right? If it's tethered fore and aft, each end of the boat's tethered. It's not going to do that. It's not going to swing around. It, it, it's just held in this position. You know, so it's not going to crash into something else or nothing's going to happen to it. And I like to think of this evening, uh, morning and evening sacrifice, the tamid, as, as tethering ourselves at the beginning and end of each day. Committing our day to God and to his purposes and not just letting ourselves kind of swing 
the way I used to swing when I'm doing this, balancing <laughs> all the different parts of my life and, and this little bit called faith in it. So my challenge is that we think about how we might do this in our lives, in the morning and in the evening. A, a, way, a, a rhythm that we can introduce into our life that will help us to do this. And this is something that I've been practising for um, probably five or six years only out of all the years that I've followed Jesus. But this has become a part of my daily pattern now. And so in the morning, make a cup of tea, um, sit in my comfy chair and I read three chapters of the Bible every morning. And I read a devotion from um, a Christian author and I pray. I pray a set prayer, one different one for each day of the week and then I pray about things that are coming up and so on. And usually Mary and I do that together. Sometimes if one of us has got stuff on um, you know, and can't be there, they've already done it or they'll do it a little bit later. Sometimes I do it on my own. But basically it's, it's a routine that we've built into our lives that sort of tethers us at the beginning of the day. And at the end of the day, um, this is to a degree a work in progress, but we have always given thanks in our evening meal. Whenever we sit together at the table to eat, we give thanks. And it's a way of remembering the blessings that we've received from God during the day and acknowledging that he's the author and source of those blessings. So... Every single day, having the equivalent of a tamid, a morning time of reflection and being with God, and an evening time of reflection and being with God, is a, is a lovely rhythm to help us maintain focus on the things that are important to God that should therefore be important to us. And it's a time of reflecting on any, any aspect of the day in which I might have strayed away and leant towards one of these false gods that, that are around me, be it pride or greed or desire or a focus on the um, observance of a religious life rather than on you know, truly honouring God and, and truly being in tune with what he wants me to do and not just feeling, oh, well, I went to church on Sunday, so that's okay, I've done that, I can tick that box. So I want to um, encourage people to be alert to the gods of the world and to use a rhythm in your day that helps you to maintain focus on the things that are important to God. A morning devotion, evening thanksgiving, however it might work for you. And these will give us... Um, these will help us to resist the gods of our age, to resist pride, resist desire, resist greed and, and resist being tricked into making our faith life purely a pattern of religious observance rather than um, truly committing ourselves to following Jesus. Because there's one true God and he's a jealous God and he only wants us to follow him and this has been true age after age after age after age. And it, it is true today and it will continue to be true. So Heavenly Father, we pray that you show us where in our life we've turned our eyes to other gods. Lord, we, we, 
We pray that you, um, you work through your Holy Spirit deep in our hearts and in our minds to reveal the areas of our lives where we have not truly given all to you, Lord God, where we've kept a bit for ourselves, where we've allowed ourselves to give in to pride, we've allowed ourselves to give in to desire, we've allowed ourselves to give in to greed and haven't left the space that you ask for in our lives, Lord God. Heavenly Father, we pray that our worship will be true worship, that you will show each one of us in our hearts and in our minds where we are not truly worshipping you, Lord God, where we are not living in accordance with your will for us and give us the strength to make the changes that we need to make, Lord God, through your Holy Spirit. Surround us with friends who are also following you, who can help us, support us, caution us, teach us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we acknowledge that you are a jealous God, that you want us to only worship you and to only follow you, Lord God. That is your nature. And we pray that we be worthy servants, worthy followers, worthy apprentices of you, Lord Jesus, in whose name we ask these things. Amen.